Welcome to Kitchen Chat. This is where we sample the talents of the most notorious chefs, home cooks, foodies, and celebrities that sizzle. Get ready for a culinary journey that you won't find anywhere else. Here's the host of Kitchen Chat, Margaret McSweeney. Hello, dear foodie friends, and welcome to Kitchen Chat. This is your host, Margaret McSweeney, and I'm so glad you're joining me here today. We have a very special guest, a true foodie friend of Kitchen Chat, Chef Matt Moore, who's been on several times, and he has a great new book called Butcher on the Block. So welcome to Kitchen Chat, Chef Matt. Thank you so much for having me back. Oh, well, I have been reading this. Um, As many of my followers know, I've kind of strayed a little bit more from the meat side and, you know, later in life going on more of a vegetarian diet. But I don't want this book to dissuade any of those listeners who might be more inclined to the vegetable side because there are some great vegetarian recipes in this book. But first of all, what inspired this? I think I opened it thinking, oh, goodness, it's going to be taking me through the whole process, which uh, I'm not sure I wanted to know a whole lot about. But you are so intriguing in your storytelling. What made you decide to write a book about Butcher on the Block? Yeah, you know, my last two books, um, The South's Best Butts was a barbecue book, and we traveled. Yes. Um, yeah, the 12 states of the barbecue belt. And it was an opportunity for me to basically use um, my books and platform as a chance to showcase other people. And I found a lot of joy and responsibility in being able to tell other people's stories, as well as showcase their recipes. Um, And so really, that book was all about the goodness of low and slow cooking. And uh, I followed that in 2020 with a book called Serial Griller, where again, we canvas the nation um, and we track down, you know, grill masters, if you will, and, and featured another dozen in that book with storytelling and recipes. And so after really kind of building up my audience in the in the grilling and barbecue space, I, I wanted to to kind of find a way to basically take two disparate subjects and, and bring them together, um, but also not be bound by, you know, using a grill, using a smoker, or or really, you know, a cooking method of low and slow or hot and fast. And, um, you know, I just decided it was interesting for me to to start at the beginning. You know, we Mm -hmm. often say that a meal is only as good as its ingredients. And I think sometimes we we don't think about uh, maybe the bulk factors of of meat, game, uh, seafood, and vegetables. Um, And we may focus more on maybe uh, good olive oils or vinegars or salts or herbs and, you know, more importantly, it was a chance to track down my own family story, um, going mm-hmm. back several, several generations and ending with my grandfather, who served in a, as a butcher during World War II, and then ultimately uh, had his own food store and butcher shop in Valdosta, Georgia. And so, you know, it was not a book about butchering. And I think the first line of the book is, this is not a book about butchering <laughs> per se, rather, it is about the butcher. Um, yes. And during COVID, you know, that was a period where um, I remember I was in the midst of releasing uh, Cereal Griller, and I would go to the grocery store uh, maybe once a week, as everybody did, limited their time. And uh, I was just amazed that, you know, all the skinless chin, uh, chicken breasts were sold out. All the skinless, boneless chicken thighs were <laughs> sold out. Pieces of salmon were sold out. And your New York strips and ribeyes and tenderloins were sold out. 
but there were whole chickens, there were London broils, there were beef briskets, uh, there were, you know, uh, catfish nuggets. There was all these kind of alternative <laughs> cuts. And that really kind of dawned on me that a lot of people lack knowledge about some of the best cuts that are out there. And so we do give some basic instruction on, on breaking down chickens and trimming tenderloins and pork chops and how to fillet a fish. But more importantly, it's about the community and it's about yeah. fostering the trade of the local butcher. Absolutely. And it's about the stories. And my goodness, your, your was it grandfather was tied in serving at Pearl Harbor. I mean, just such beautiful family history that, that you share with us in this. Yeah. It's um, sometimes you don't know what you, you don't know until you uh, have a few cocktails with family. And uh, it was fun <laughs> to, you know, trace the story of, of my grandfather. My, my mom had remembered as a child that um, when he had signed up for the United States Army Air Force, he, he told a story that, you know, just weeks before he was he was going to deploy, uh, he was told that he was going to a place called Pearl Harbor. And, you know, as the son of a first generation immigrant born here, um, my, my great grandparents came over from Beirut and Lebanon. Yeah, I could just only imagine the excitement he must have felt of, of being able to go to you know, just such a, a wonderful, mysterious place. Uh, ultimately, a few months prior, he was pulled off of that deployment. And in December 7th of 1941, we know mm. what occurred. And um, yes. ultimately, he made his path there, but really largely was was not in combative service. Um, my uncle and his brother, uh, he lived uh, just until about 2020. And uh, God, he could tell a bunch of tall tales. Um, <laughs> his son is my cousin, Sam. And when I went to go research the book, I, I knew I wanted to spend some time with Sam, who's an attorney in South Georgia. I could write a book on Sam. Um, <laughs> but we were, um, again, having a late night bourbon and, and Sam confessed to me. He said, you do know that I deposed your, your uncle David is what I called him, uh, my grandfather's brother. I said, no, no, no. I said, I, I can't, I, I don't, it's not a shock to me that you, you tracked down all these family <laughs> stories. No, he said, you know, before he passed away, I wanted to make sure that I got all the the history. And so as, as I started talking about it, he shared a wonderful story of, of my, my uncle David, um, who also after the service went and served in the family store and worked with my grandfather. But David was in, in New Guinea, also in the Ooh. United States Army Air Force. And, uh, during that time, they would, they would hang out in foxholes. And before there was any major battles that occurred, uh, the Japanese would fly their zeros across and strafe the fields. And it was sort of this idea that, hey, we're here, but we're not engaging in battle today. And he said one day he got an airmail package um, and they were the, the the light blue 32, which are kind of a collector's item, mason jars. And it was stuffed with newspaper. And my great, great grandmother, Sophie, had taken fried chicken in Valdosta, Georgia, uh, fried it, stuffed it in the mason jars, filled it with newspaper, sealed it up. Through the army air mail, it found my my uh, uncle David in, in New Guinea, and uh, we kind of laughed because he was he was somebody who told a lot of tall tales. Uh, but the <laughs> line in the book was basically that if you've ever had our family's fried chicken, it can make you uh, believe in the impossible. Oh, I love that! What a great message and family history there. Um, before we jump into the stories, I do have a question because this is just come up within the industry, they're now talking about cultured chicken. What are your thoughts on that? Where basically in labs they're doing, they're creating the meat. Um, I, I'm just curious from a true uh, meat specialist and guru, <laughs> the guru of the grill, 
what are your thoughts and how does that impact the butchering side of it as well? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm glad you brought up the piece on on, on vegetables too. Like my intention of this book is to present a cross section of what butchering looks like yes. right now. And when you release a book, it's not TikTok. You don't go back and edit it. Um, <laughs> it is the here and now. And right. there is plenty of meat. There is plenty of game, but we also kind of go down worlds of, of seafood, which could be fishmongering, mm-hmm. but also butchering. And then we include one of the first and only vegetable butchers, uh, Cara Mangini, who, who yeah. started uh, the vegetable butchering concept in Italy. You know, and I, I'll, I'll revisit a line that came from uh, James Peisker at uh, Porter Road Butcher here in Nashville. He said, I'm a butcher and I'm telling people to, to eat less meat, but mm-hmm. I want them to eat better meat. And so when you get to these ideas of, of, of meat grown in labs and cultures, you know, I think certainly as a society, when we study, uh, you know, topics like climate change mm-hmm. and, and those pieces, what, what's trying to evolve is, is creating sustainability and proteins for the long term. You know, I think we could probably maybe solve some of that if we did focus on James' philosophy of, of eating less, but maybe mm-hmm. better. And, you know, my grandfather used to always say, never fry chicken over four pounds. So when I go to the grocery store and we see these large birds, especially the commercialized ones, that is a place that I'll tell people, hey, look, you know, spend a little bit more money and and maybe find something that's more free range um, Mm -hmm. because it's going to be a a better tasting, you know, quality. And so we also go to the south of France. And I know you spent a lot of time in Europe and it was important for me to to showcase (laughs) the art that is still so alive and well, but is very much at threat in France and in Europe. And so, yeah, I think there is some some utility to the focus that uh, maybe we have a little bit less, but we focus on better. You truly give us a taste of the world as well in this book, Matt. I love, first of all, that you take us to Antibes. I'm going there this summer on a culinary adventure, and I cannot wait to visit this butcher shop. Can you share with us um, further about the Antibes? experience and and their focus yeah so i i have a few different worlds and um one of my businesses is uh, a fragrance business and uh, we have an american brand called east west bottlers Uh, we make a a men's fragrance called moonshine cologne and uh, we source all of our fragrance and we do all of our development in a town called grasse which is really kind of the capital of the, the perfume world so i've spent a lot of time in in the south of france and um you know Truth be told, probably one of the best meals that you get in Europe and specifically France is at the butcher shop. Um, even in the south of France, it's kind of this unique quality uh, where you can stop by and, and they're kind of creating typically a plat du jour, if you will. Um, that particular day that we visited uh, a butcher shop called Maison Maillard, uh, which is kind of named after the Maillard reaction and cooking. Uh, there's two folks there, Amory and Christophe. Uh, they were software and tech engineers, and they decided to to make their lives even harder and more fulfilling and create a butcher shop. And, um, you know, Christophe kind of primarily handles the the butchering and the dry aging, where Amory is maybe taking on more of the um, the terrines and the, the pâté en croûte, uh, the lasagna, which is amazing that he does there, um, the tartare. And uh, ultimately, what we picked up was a a pork stew, if you will, you know, served over uh, noodles or couscous. And so, you know, I I think that there's a lot of um, a beauty in the French experience, what they Mm -hmm. often say to to faire les courses, which basically means to go do the shopping, right? And so they don't go to just one massive place. 
and pick up everything where everything looks and tastes and feels the same. You go to the local uh, butcher shop or the local you know bakery uh, to get your fruit and legumes. Uh, but that is very much a threat in France. You know, there's this idea of the supermarché uh, where people, you know, just as we do here in the United States, we go to one big space and we procure everything and we lose some of that artisanal quality. And so I wanted to visit that um, not only because of my own experience, but I also thought that it it fulfilled, you know, um, kind of an old school art that I would argue is also being revived here in the United States with places like Bavette, uh, a place yeah. that, we, you know, featured in uh, Milwaukee. But at the same time, I want folks to know that I also went to the the Kroger, which is just down the street from me, which is a major supermarket. Um, and we feature a gentleman by the name of Tommy Kelly. Um, and the reality is that maybe we don't have these types of places to source. Um, and that still doesn't take away from the fact that knowing the butcher um, and, mm-hmm. and even the fact that Tommy's trained as a butcher and he doesn't really even cut meat unless he's asked to mm-hmm. doesn't stop us from the fact that we can create community um, by a daily ritual, in my in my case, I'm going to the store probably three or four times a day, <laughs> some people a couple of times a week, but it's a chance to create a friendship, to build a yeah. trust and a bond. And, you know, there was an old saying, and I bet folks that are listening right now, if you think about in your in your family or growing up, pretty much everybody knew a butcher. There was an uncle or a cousin or a neighbor or a friend. Um, and sometimes people would move to certain towns because there was a good butcher in that town. And um, I, I just thought that it was something that was really important to recognize and then, of course, be able to do what I do and peel back the onions of the of the story and, and showcase a lot of the great folks and the diversity of cuisine that um, we were able to track down. Absolutely. And grill the onions as well, <laughs> especially with Kara Mangini. But she's been on Kitchen Chat before mm-hmm. and uh, just wonderful what she has done. I'm continuing the family legacy as well. And I would love to feature on the the website, the zucchini herb fritters, carrot pine nut yogurt with chili oil that you feature. That would just be a beautiful. Uh, It's a great recipe. You know, Kara, um, after spending time in New York, went back to Columbus, Ohio and, um, you know, ran a successful restaurant, The Little Eater and, and time and space for writing this book. Um, we, we did find ourselves, you know, in the midst of COVID traveling mm-hmm. and, and, and producing this work. And, uh, we found her, uh, back in San Francisco, actually, where she was living in her, I believe it was her grandparents' former, uh, apartment in Cal Hollow neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, she just put out a spread in the afternoon in the backyard of the fritters and, uh, kind of a, a beautiful salad. And I, I will tell you that probably the best carrot cake maybe I've had besides my mom's. Um, and, you know, just to kind of use utility, she's, she's not a vegetarian or vegan per se, but her mission Mm -hmm. is sort of creating vegetables again, more at the center of the plate. Um, and there are proper techniques if you're going to do a stir fry or a cabbage steak or a cauliflower steak on actually, you know, butchering the, the vegetable. And so again, I wanted to be able to present a really diverse cast and roster so that when people pick up this book, no matter their, their dietary needs, there's something in it for everybody. Absolutely. I love that. And I love that you even take it to my home state of Alabama and Enterprise. And I'm trying to remember, is Enterprise the peanut capital of the world or the bull weevil? It's the bull weevil. Um, The bull weevil capital. It is the bull weevil. And um, that was a really beautiful story. Quite honestly, I had forgotten 
my Southern history, because uh, I do remember Enterprise in, in grade school and the boll weevil and what it meant to the South. Yes. Um, and, you know, Enterprise is a place that, for those that are unaware of the boll weevil, uh, largely uh, an agrarian society built on on, on farming cotton. Um, and ultimately, the boll weevil destroyed that. And it uh, it destroyed the community for quite some time until they they reinvented themselves and they started to diversify their crops. And so they erected a statue to the boll weevil as as the herald of prosperity. And, um, you know, when I went down, I flew my plane into, I think, Troy, Alabama, and I was driving down to Carniceria Specialty Meats to meet Omar. And he was off of Bull Weevil Circle and I passed the monument and I got there and he said, what are you doing here today? I don't have time. Um, and I kept <laughs> being persistent. And I, I just said, no, no, today's the day, Omar. You know, we've talked about this. And I, I realized what he meant. He's super busy. Um, you know, within a few minutes, I got him to loosen up and we had a great time together and I learned his story. And he, you know, he had a lot of adversity in his journey of trying to come mm. to this country, um, said, made several journeys. And, and now he's in a place where, you know, he's he's just so proud of, of becoming a citizen. He's proud to be mm -hmm. offering jobs to uh, young folks in the community and mentoring them. And, and in some way, you know, persistence and adversity of the bull weevil is really it's really Omar's story as well. Um, and that's not anything I intended to write. It's just sometimes when you get your boots on the ground, the, the story comes to you. Yes, that is so beautiful. And I love his recipe for golf shrimp ceviche. Yeah, you know, um, specifically, I remember when I was landing, you're, you're maybe only 60 miles from the coast and I could see some of the haze um, uh, at about 7,000 feet coming in. And so, um, again, I don't, go to a place per se seeking a recipe. Mm -hmm. um, I don't have a phone call in advance really other than, hey, this is what I'm doing. Would you be interested in participating? And when people say, oh, that's great because my grand, I said, no, 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 don't, don't tell me the story. I, I want to get, I want to catch the story in the here and now. And mm -hmm. I, I don't really necessarily care what the recipes are going to be. And I think that sort of in the moment uh, approach to writing and discovery has, has served me uh, okay. And, you know, it, it opens us up to the possibility. And so ceviche, uh, of, of course, you know, being so close to the coast, you know, utilizing something that is very common from where he grew up in, in Mexico, and then taking the local Gulf shrimp uh, that he's able to procure, you've got people stopping in, um, not only to get custom cuts and steaks, but he's got, you know, similar to the European style shop, uh, fajita platters that are ready to be put on the grill, the ceviche sandwiches. Um, so he's running, you know, a little kind of sundry store a butcher shop and also kind of a restaurant at the same time that is so amazing and listeners i am going to to provide a link to his book butcher on the block and it's laid out i love the different content where part one is butchering primer part two the butchers and then part three a whole lot of recipes if you could, because I think a lot of people are intimidated by this, on part one, under the tools, you talk about dry aging at home. Can you provide just a quick overview and tips and uh, should we try this at home? Yeah, I mean, you know, I didn't want to go down the rabbit hole too much because this is a place that you can germ out and get really nerdy and specific <laughs> and buy machines and, uh, you know, all the equipment. My, my wife's like wondering, oh, my gosh, is he ever going to stop? Um, you know, I will say that dry aging is one of those techniques and items typically mastered by your local butcher. It's a reason mm. to go shop that local artisanal butcher 
because often this is a specialty where they have the right equipment, they have the right knowledge to do that in-house. One of the other kind of gateway drugs that go into your local butcher would also be the fresh ground meats, because oftentimes they're going to be grinding on a daily basis, and they will be incorporating the tails and trimmings of typically very expensive dry-aged cuts that Mm -hmm. find their ways into those grinds. And if you've never had fresh ground meat and made a burger or a little kefta or a kebab, it will change your world. You'll start, you know, really saying the quality matters. And then kind of the last thing that you find at a lot of local butcher shops that's a big differentiator beyond just the cuts they specialize in are typically the the local specialty sausages. And you find a lot of those, you know, uh, for uh, for example, in the carniceria, we're going to find ones that are more indicative of, of Mexico and Spain. Uh, we find a lot of German influence at Bavette and Milwaukee, um, you know, Lebanese influence, Italian influence, you name it. Those are some really great ways, you know, across the board where we're going to be able to find uh, those particular cuts. Um, to go back to the idea of dry aging at home, you know, they now offer um, what they call dry aging bags, which you can pick up on Amazon. And so for those folks that have interest in doing it, you can do it rather safely in your fridge, rather affordably. So I did just kind of want to highlight that dry aging is a specialty of your butcher. And if you have interest in, in doing that, it, it's now easier. And so to kind of give you a little bit more perspective down this path, and I won't go much longer, um, you know, dry aging to me is much more preferred than a wet age. A wet age mm. is where you typically see uh, it's processed and then it's packaged in a in a, a sealed container and it's aged, you know, within that quote unquote, um, you know, plastic typically. And, you know, you get some results, um, if you will. The idea of aging is that we want to add more flavor by the, the meat actually kind of breaking down in tenderness. Um, but the reason that wet age became so popular is because you lost no mass. So hmm. you didn't lose any mass. And so that you, you were selling by the pound and you were able to still create sort of an a- aging technique. Whereas dry aging, you're losing, you know, anywhere between 10 to 30 percent of the hmm. actual mass, depending on how far you take it. So it, it is more expensive just due to the fact that you're losing product. Um, but in my opinion, the flavor and uh, the tenderness is is unmatched. Um, the one piece that I do tell folks that if they, they have interest in using those dry age bags, it's best to go to the butcher and buy a whole tenderloin and trim it and then age it or a whole rack like a, a ribeye standing rib roast or something along those lines because you're going to lose so much mass. And then, you know, other than just buying individual steaks, that you're going to have to trim down and you may buy a nice thick cut ribeye, but by the time you try age it 10 or 15 days, you'll find that it's a thinner ribeye. Um, and so that's just one of the pieces that I brought up in the book. Oh, that's outstanding. I think the bottom line, the message here is go visit your local butcher, have a greater appreciation, enjoy these stories and recipes. And I also think you are setting a trend as well. And I'd love to see if this happens. Uh, you were raving about a pork burger, you know, instead of the beef burger, why not make it pork? I forget which butcher uh, you had had that it's experience. Really a, um, it's it's something I learned about um, in my early career when I moved to Nashville. I had, had worked for a couple of gentlemen that had a, a what's called a kind of a payments company. And we worked with community banks around the country. 
And I remember I had a, a bank in uh, Farmington, Indiana, that told me that they were grilling burgers to try to attract people for their deposit accounts. <laughs> and uh, just to make conversations super young, you know, sitting in an office, well, well, tell me about your technique. And they said, well, we're grilling pork burgers. I'd never heard of it, but it's really <laughs> kind of a thing in Indiana, pork burgers. It's, it's sort of like almost a state. And I, I, I'm sure it you know, spreads to to other places out, outside of the state of Indiana and, and, and part of the Midwest. Um, when I went to Cambridge City, Indiana, to visit the Rim family, that was our first stop mm-hmm. on the book. They they featured a burger called the County Fair Burger, and yeah. um, it was a pork burger. It's a blend, um, and they serve it, you know, with a little bit of barbecue sauce. It's kind of the sweetness, and they have jowl bacon that they make, and thick sliced tomatoes, and onion. And oh man, you're making me hungry already. Um, <laughs> of course, with the pork burger, the one thing that you do. Um, have to make sure I spend a lot of time in the book when it comes to cooking, you know, chops and tenderloins with pork. Don't overcook them. You know, the, the trichinosis and that, mm-hmm. that, that fear is gone and especially commercially raised pork with the burger. It is something that you want to get to about 160 degrees. You're not wanting that just, and that's more due to the fact, uh, that, you know, obviously based on the ground and the surface area, but it's a delicious, delicious cut. It's got plenty of fat, plenty of flavor, and maybe at your next cookout, instead of beef or turkey or bison, uh, ground pork. It's a big win. Oh, I love that. This has been so much fun, as always. We so enjoy having you on Kitchen Chat. Dear listeners, make sure you pick up a copy of Butcher on the Block. I'm also going to be running a fun little contest where you can win a copy of this book and visit um, Matt on his website. It's mattarmore.com. You got it. You got it. Yep. And uh, follow him on all of the social media as well. This is also a great, great gift for anyone. I mean, wonderful, all seasonal as well. Whatever gift giving season it is, this would be great for a foodie. So thank you so much again, Matt, for being on Kitchen Chat. Thank you. And thank you, dear foodie friends. Please continue to visit kitchenchat.info. Follow me on Instagram at kitchenchat. And always remember to take a moment and savor the day. 